I'm going to talk about a very specific nightmare I'm having with America's for-profit healthcare system. Luckily, it's not my health, it's a neighbor's health. But America's for-profit healthcare is so debilitating, so dangerous, by simply acting as an advocate for my neighbor, my mental and physical health is under assault. I am grateful that I have a small forum right now to get this off my chest. I invite you in the comments section below to share your nightmares, your nightmare experiences with America's for-profit healthcare system. I will read your comments. I will read your stories. I will bear witness. I won't respond to them, but I will read them and I hope others will bear witness as well. In the coming weeks, I'm thinking of holding a town hall on Zoom maybe on a Saturday night where people can share anonymously, it must be anonymous, their nightmare experiences with America's for-profit healthcare system. I think a lot of us feel we're alone. The people above have done a pretty good job convincing Americans that whatever indignity or, or crime, let's call this what it is, a crime against humanity, our for-profit healthcare system in America is a crime against humanity. And the people who are committing these crimes against humanity, who work for the for-profit health insurance companies, they've convinced us that we are all just isolated cases. They've convinced us that if you were to step back and look at the larger picture, our for-profit healthcare system would be the envy of the world. And it's not. They try to convince us that this crime against humanity that they call a for-profit healthcare system is the envy of the world. And as long as Americans remain ignorant, some of us believe that. Now, there is a solution. Its name is Bernie Sanders. Bernie has been honest, and he says we need Medicare for all. But he also says Medicare for all cannot coexist with the for-profit health insurance companies. The for-profit health insurance companies must be put out of business. Pay attention. Any candidate like Pete Buttigieg or Kamala back in 2020 who said they support Medicare for all but didn't believe in putting for-profit health insurance companies out of business, they are misleading you. They do not believe in Medicare for all. You cannot have Medicare for all if there are for-profit health insurance companies. Health insurance companies must be put out of business. That is the solution, and that is the bill, the Medicare for All bill that Pramila Jayapal introduced. That is the bill. It puts health insurance companies out of business. It offers five-year training programs to take people who worked in health insurance and teaches them to find other skills so they can be hired someplace else. That is the solution. We have a solution Medicare for all, put the health insurance 
companies out of business. The problem, besides our for-profit health care system, is the other problem is not enough Americans recognize the problem because we are isolated. We are we are on our own. So we think it's just us. They've atomized us. We all think we're suffering alone when, in fact, we are suffering together. We just don't know that. So please share your experiences with our for-profit healthcare system in the comment section below. And while you're at it, let me know if you'd be willing to attend a town hall where individuals with their cameras turned off on Zoom, where individuals share their nightmares with the for-profit health insurance companies, their their nightmares uh, from this crime against humanity. I think the idea of this town hall is to listen, to bear witness, not to offer solutions. We already have a solution. It's Medicare for all and putting the health insurance companies out of business. I think the purpose of this town hall would for, for be for us to just listen to each other and know these crimes against humanity are being committed on an unimaginable scale here in America. We have the solution already. It's Medicare for all. Put the health insurance companies out of business. Let's work to recognize the problem. Let's work to make it settled law here in America that this country's for-profit health insurance system is a crime against humanity. Please share your thoughts, your experiences in the comments section below. And I ask those of you listening to visit the comments section and bear witness. Read the comments. If you don't want to share, at least bear witness and read the comments. You will see you're not alone. And whatever pain that has been inflicted upon you by our monstrosity of a for-profit healthcare system that pain is not your fault. I believe in Medicare for all. I believe in Bernie Sanders. I believe in putting the for-profit health insurance companies out of business. That is the solution. How do we get there? We need to purge the Democratic Party of millionaires. If you're a millionaire or a billionaire... You're free to vote for a Democrat. You just can't be part of the leadership team. You also can't hold elective office if you're a millionaire. The days of noblesse oblige in the Democratic Party are over. That is how you get Medicare for all. By turning the Democratic Party into a party not of the working class, but a party of the dispossessed. If you're working class, you're dispossessed. If you work for a living, you are dispossessed. If you don't work for a living, you are dispossessed. The Democratic Party must be the party of the dispossessed. How do we get Medicare for all? You and I must make a vow to stop. Stop voting for people who have money. 
only vote for candidates who know what it's like to be broke and in debt. To know, to have experienced what it's like to be literally one paycheck, one insulin shot away from the streets. Congresswoman Cori Bush from St. Louis lived in a car with her children. She knows what it means to be homeless, which is why she slept on the steps of the Capitol as a United States congresswoman to draw attention to the eviction crisis that still plagues our nation in this cold. She knows. So I'm done. I don't care what these candidates believe in. From now on, you only get my vote if you're broke and in debt. And you promise that once you get into office, you stay broke and in debt until your constituents are not. I've had it. Half this country can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency. You are not alone. We are not alone. They want us to think we're alone. 99% of Americans are dispossessed. You're not special. Your suffering is not special. We have been tricked, tricked into keeping our suffering to ourselves. The powerful, the Wall Street titans have painted shame over our suffering. And so we suffer in silence, but we are all suffering. And this suffering has been caused by the for-profit health insurance companies, along with the fossil fuel industry and Wall Street. According to President Joe Biden's State of the Union fact sheet distributed by the White House, 40% of American adults suffer with anxiety and depression. That's 40% of adults in America suffering from uh, anxiety and depression. I guess the other 60% just don't pay attention. Anxiety and depression, 40%. The pharmaceutical industry wants you to think it's all chemical and you just need another chemical, one of their chemicals, to make it all better. The White House says... The number of children and adolescents suffering from anxiety and depression is up nearly 30% since COVID. Now, something is wrong with America. Something is seriously wrong with the American people. Why are we so anxious and depressed? They'll try to tell you it's the isolation that comes from the COVID pandemic. No, it's the isolation from the pandemic of untrammeled greed. We're told to blame social media, video games, absentee fathers, lack of family values, and of course, not enough religion in our lives. Now, yes, anxiety and depression can be chemical, but I believe most of it what makes us nervous, what makes us feel powerless is the underlying knowledge there is nobody protecting us from the predators robbing us of our health, time and money. And those predators are corporations. 
who have insinuated themselves into our healthcare system, our schools, our personal finances, as well as our physical and emotional security. These corporations are free to do whatever they want with nobody protecting us. We, the 99%, have internalized this reality. We can't articulate it. We feel it. We know it deep inside. And because we can't articulate it, it is manifested through anxiety and depression, which they try to convince us is all chemical. We are brainwashed into thinking our, our anxiety is from the chemicals in our brain, but not the chemicals in our water, air, and food. We are poisoned. Corporations poison our bodies, our government, our environment, and they get away with it because they poison our minds by poisoning our mass media. Every day we are told we have enemies, Black Lives Matter, caravans of Central American migrants, Antifa, gangs, and of course, Islamic terrorists. But we're never told who the real enemy is. Our real enemy, our real enemies are the people manufacturing all the phony enemies. Our real enemies are the corporations who keep selling stuff that kills us. This weekend was ruined. I watched CVS Pharmacy, the drugstore chain, commit a crime right in front of me. Now, this is a crime I've watched CVS Pharmacy commit all of last year as I attempt to help my neighbor fill a prescription that if he doesn't get, he will die. Now, the prescriptions are written by his doctor. CVS tells him the prescriptions are ready. But when I show up, they're out of stock. I ask the pharmacy manager at CVS, so what do I do? And she says, and this has been going on for a year, there is nothing CVS pharmacy can do. And so my tone of voice, what you hear right now, that becomes the issue. Don't talk to me the way I'm talking to you, my listeners. And the pharmacy manager over at CVS instructs me to find, I wish I were making this up, another CVS that has, that might have this prescription in stock. I have to do that. CVS won't find another CVS that has the medication in stock. And I say, what happens if I can't find a CVS that has it? I am told, well, take them to an emergency room. That is what I am told. That is what I am told last year. About five times last year and over the weekend. If we don't have them, we don't have the medication. Take them to the emergency room. So, I swear to you this is true. I did it. I called the New York City police. I'm a Karen. I'm a Karen. I called the New York City police on CVS. 
I reported a crime. But the police in New York City insist no crime had been committed. The detective wouldn't even take down my complaint and eventually hung up on me. So, and I'm not making this up, I called the DEA. They were a little more polite, but they told me there's nothing they can do. Now, I didn't call my senator, Chuck Schumer. He would be the Senate majority leader, Democrat. I didn't call my senator, Chuck Schumer, because I had already called him weeks ago, twice. And nobody from Senator Chuck Schumer's constituent services ever called me back. But today I did get an email from Chuck telling me the Democratic Party desperately needed a donation because our democracy, he said, is on life support, to which I wrote back, make sure you don't get any medication for our democracy from CVS. Nobody is protecting my neighbor. Nobody is helping me. CVS, the health insurance companies, it's deny and delay until he dies. He still doesn't have his medication. And I might have to take him to the emergency room on Wednesday. All because CVS won't fill his prescription. He'll be out of his pills on Wednesday. And he would be completely out of his pills today if we weren't squirreling away some extra pills each month, cutting them in half every couple of days, not taking them all so we'd have some to cover that period each month when, like clockwork, his prescription runs out and CVF, CVS either delays or refuses to fill that prescription right after they guaranteed me that they would. I check in, I make calls, I check the app, it's ready. And then on the, the day we're told to come pick it up, that's the day they decide to tell us they're out of stock or they can't fill it. And they're just pills. These are not expensive pills. They're just pills that will send him to the emergency room if he doesn't get them. Nobody cares. The police don't care. The doctors don't care. The AMA doesn't care. The medical schools don't care. His doctor, it's the weekend, can't be reached. And the answering service for his doctor says, well, take him to the emergency room. CVS doesn't care. The DEA doesn't care. Senator Chuck Schumer doesn't care. Nobody is protecting my neighbor. And that makes him and me anxious and depressed. But we're told our anxiety and depression our feelings of powerlessness are all chemical. And there's a chemical I should take to help me with the anxiety and the depression. Until, of course, CVS won't fill the prescription for that chemical. 
in which case I must go to the emergency room where a doctor will prescribe a new pill designed to help me deal with CVS refusing to give me those other pills. The for-profit health insurance companies suck half a trillion dollars a year out of our economy. That doesn't include what Big Pharma sucks out. They provide for nobody other than their shareholders. It is a giant skim. And they're not just skimming money. It's not just the half a trillion dollars they skim each year. It's also our time. We have better things to do than sit on hold calling my neighbor's health insurance company to see if they can authorize another CVS to fill his prescription because CVS won't make that call to the health insurance company and they can't even call around to find another CVS, another CVS that can fill the prescription. CVS cannot communicate with other CVSs. But CVS, oh, they'll buy up one pharmacy after another while convincing our Justice Department there's an economy of scale to getting bigger and bigger because, they say, bigger means better service for the consumer. Huh. Consumer. The person I'm helping isn't a consumer. He's a sick man. But that's how CVS ended up with this monopoly. They ended up with this monopoly because corporate-funded think tanks captured our Justice Department, and they got tools of the richest 1%, like Robert Bork, to make it our Justice Department's policy not to pursue antitrust cases if a corporation can prove that by getting bigger, they can provide better and cheaper services to the consumer. Robert Bork worked in the Justice Department during the Reagan administration, and he turned antitrust into whether or not it benefits the consumer. It wasn't about competition or the free market. It was about, does it affect the consumer? And this has been going on since Reagan took office. Corporations have gotten bigger and bigger, And despite what the Federalist Society, despite what uh, conservatives in the Justice Department want us to believe, these gigantic corporations charge more for less. And the marketplace isn't going to protect my neighbor from CVS. That mythical free market doesn't protect CVS from killing my neighbor because there's no competition. There's no marketplace. There's only CVS. CVS might end up sending my neighbor to the emergency room on Wednesday, but I'm still going to be forced to use CVS. There's your free market for you. There's your competition. There's no shopping around with health care. There's no free market to keep CVS honest. Our Justice Department will not break up CVS. 
we have no Justice Department protecting us from predatory monopolies like CVS. And so here in America, it has become a full-time job to receive health care. It is a full-time job to assist someone in getting their prescriptions filled in America. It's not just a monopoly. This is extortion. It's fraud. It's piracy, robbery, and murder. People get murdered when they don't get their prescriptions filled. They get murdered when they can't afford to get their prescriptions filled. And nobody is protecting Americans. The police, the Justice Department, Chuck Schumer, our entire government is there to protect corporations. Now, I have a $400 charge on my credit card from three months ago. I had to go out of pocket to get my neighbor his pills. And I was assured by his insurance company and CVS that I would be reimbursed. Do you know the number of hours I am spending to get the $400 back? I still haven't been reimbursed. And of course, Visa won't help me. Why would they when they can keep collecting interest on that $400 charge? Nobody will help me. Nobody. The doctors, the hospital, Chuck Schumer, the pharmacy, the banks, the police, the DEA. Did I mention that my Wall Street bagman of a senator, Chuck Schumer, won't help me? Because there is big money in it for all of them, not to maintain the status quo, but to change the status quo by making it even worse. To make it worse for all of us. The worse it gets, the richer they get. Don't get sick in America. Don't lose your job in America. Don't get evicted by a criminal landlord like Jared Kushner. Don't get arrested in America because you are surrounded by corporate maggots chewing your body clean, leaving you flattened on the road as the billionaires drive right over you, not feeling so much as a bump. In America, the billionaires drive right over you and nobody says, what was that? Did you feel something? No, the billionaires feel nothing as we get pancaked razor thin. We're invisible. They convince us to blame ourselves for our misfortune. And oh, by the way, here's a lottery ticket, a new Indian casino and some online sports betting apps. Maybe that can help change your luck. Nobody in America protects us. Nobody. I called the police to help me with CVS. They told me there is no such thing as a corporate crime. I was told by a detective in New York City that there is no such thing as a corporate crime. 
CVS can steal from me. They can steal my money, my time, my neighbor's life if he doesn't get the prescription by Wednesday. And because he may end up in the emergency room, CVS will steal money from our health care system. They will steal from Medicare, our taxpayers. CVS is free to steal all of that. But if I, David Feldman, so much as stick some dental floss in my pocket and walk out of that very same CVS for not paying, they will call the police and I'm off to jail. CVS can call the police on me for stealing $5 worth of dental floss, but I can't call the police on CVS for stealing millions and millions of dollars from millions of my neighbors living in New York City. It is not like this in other industrialized countries. It's only like this in America because we are militarized, corporatized, and monopolized. They keep finding us enemies to fatten the weapons manufacturers, more imaginary enemies to fatten the police, We need imaginary enemies to keep the American people terrified and angry and willing to pay trillions each year for defense. And all that does is make us more frightened, more terrified, more anxious and depressed. This is how fascism works. Corporations working with police And of course, the military and the government and CVS and CVS to keep the citizens angry with and terrified of everyone and everything other than the rich and powerful like CVS. Chinese weather balloons spying on America, shoot them down. They might crash into the American weather balloons spying on America. I have no quarrel with China right now. China isn't refusing to fill my neighbor's prescription. Russia hasn't turned my government over to the rich and powerful and marginalized 99% of us. Stop letting the rich and powerful trick you into believing in their imaginary threats from imaginary enemies, you have a real enemy. It's CVS. It's CVS Pharmacy. It's Chuck Schumer for not returning my calls about CVS. You have real enemies, not Chinese weather balloons. It's the health insurance companies. It's the police officers who care more about a busted taillight on a car than they do the manufacturer who sold you faulty airbags. We are being robbed and killed by the billionaire class. Stop already with critical race theory. Transgender kids using your daughter's bathroom or vaccine mandates. My Republican friends, your enemy is anyone worth more than a billion dollars. My Republican friends, your enemy is anyone who earns $20 million a year in salary. Your enemy is their children who stand to inherit that dirty, filthy money. Now, 
as I said at the top. Here's how we fix this. I have a very simple rule when it comes to electing politicians, especially Democrats. I don't care where you stand on anything. All I want to know is, what are you worth? What is your wife worth? What are your children worth? What are your parents worth? If you're broke and in debt, then you have my vote. And then when you run for re-election, I don't care where you stand on any of the issues. Open up your wallet. What are you worth? Show me what you're worth. What is your wife worth? Ro Khanna, who ran Bernie's campaign in California, his wife is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That's why he refused to vote uh, against the, the bill condemning socialism. That's the Democratic bench, Ro Khanna, married to a, a multimillionaire. What are, you, what are you worth? What is your wife worth? What are your children worth? Your parents and your in-laws, what are they worth? Let me see if you or your immediate family got richer during your time in office. You're a public servant. Serve the public, not yourself. Half this country can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency. Until that changes, nobody should be allowed to run for office as a Democrat, at least, unless they, too, are as broke and in debt as their constituents. I don't want a candidate who was once broke, who was once in debt, but then they turned their life around. I want a candidate who was broke and in debt and plans to turn our government around. We are not alone. Do not suffer in silence. America's for-profit health care system is a crime against humanity. The answer is Medicare for all. The answer is don't trust any politician who says they support Medicare for all, but doesn't believe in putting health insurance companies out of business. You cannot have both. You cannot have Medicare for all and health insurance companies. That's what Bernie said. We need Bernie. We need more candidates like Bernie, not like Ro Khanna, because we need Medicare for all. How do we get there? One way is through consciousness. The awareness that we're not alone. We're suffering alone, but we're not alone. We must bear witness to these crimes against humanity. Share your experience in the comments section below. Write about your experiences with CVS, United Healthcare, Aetna, Blue Shield, Empire Health. Write in the comments section below. Let others bear witness to your suffering. I urge my listeners to read the comments section and bear witness. We get to Medicare for all by bearing witness to the suffering of others from this crime against humanity we call a for-profit health care system. A Gallup poll last year revealed 112 million Americans can't pay their medical bills, whether they have insurance or not. 
112 million Americans say they often find themselves choosing between food and medicine. And as a result, hundreds of thousands of Americans are getting sicker and dying each year because they can't afford a doctor or the treatment or the prescription the doctor recommended. This is untrammeled greed. This is grotesque. This is a crime against humanity. Tell me what you think in the comments section below. Share your experiences with this nightmare of a for-profit healthcare system here in America. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Show business royalty joins us. Dave Cyrus, comedy writer extraordinaire. It's been a while. I know. I'm so sorry. I left for a few months and everything clearly went to hell. It has. I'm so sorry how that clearly was mostly my fault. The show's got shorter without you. Well, I heard that once I stopped doing it, all the other legitimate comics dropped out too. Uh -huh. Once I no longer did the show, it was a cascade effect. Everyone started abandoning you. You know, you know the phrase, you know, as I had a stink goes. on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, once Cyrus goes. leaves, I had a stink on me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, uh, what, what, what have you been working on? I know you, are there any projects I've you can talk about? I've been very busy in New York uh, filming a TV show um, for, for Peacock that will be out later this year. Can you talk uh, about who this, one of the stars is? Yes, um, it's a show I co-created with Pete Davidson um, and Judah Miller, and it has a lot of guest stars. It's going to be, uh, but my be favorite, but who's, who's the guy I want to meet? Oh, I mean, I need to double check which guest stars have publicly been announced. But I mean, isn't there somebody who plays an older gentleman? Oh, you, well, yes. Joe Pesci does play Pete's grandfather. We were very lucky to get him on our hands. You, and, do you know uh, that I watch, I watch the Irishman. Mm -hmm. You love the Irishman. I watch it over and over. It's, it's almost like the Godfather to me. It's I think movie. that's a, a masterpiece. Great. And, and Pesci should have been given the Nobel peace prize for that. It is such a magnificent. He's really good. He, and the thing that's the cool thing about it is like, he doesn't really get out of bed for much, you know, like Joe Pesci right. doesn't work because he needs to work. He'll, he just, you gotta, you gotta entice him. And somehow we did. I mean, it's good. pretty great. This is the first time he's done TV. I want to say since the early eighties, maybe. Right. Or mid eighties. Like it's, it's insane how long, like that he, that he was willing to do this. Honestly, uh, Edie Falco is Edie Falco. On the show. Wow. It's yeah, it's a lot of mafia movie TV royalty. We really yeah. got to we really corner the market on people who enjoy stuff about the mob in the last 50 years. Like it really is kind of nuts. Edie Falco, by the way. Oh, my God. She's so good. Of course. She's, like to have Joe Pesci and Edie Falco, two people who are just like such good actors. Right. It honestly, I feel bad writing things they say. <laughs> Like there've been a number of people where I'm like, I feel personally guilty that I wrote the things, the, the jokes that this 
legendary performer has to say now. Can they say anything? Can can anything? Not to discount your writing, anything Joe Pesci says or Edie Falco, they can make great. Yeah. No, I mean, it honestly is it thrilling to is it thrilling to write something and then have them deliver it in a way you didn't even anticipate? You didn't even see. No, no, no. It's only thrilling when they do it exactly how I pictured. (laughs) That's what thrills me. That's what gets me. That's what gets me uh, very excited. No, no, no. But yeah, no, they do. It's really it's always amazing to see them do something with like writing that is like where they make it better. But it's also really cool when you see someone manage to do it precisely how you pictured it. Like, especially because certain jokes, they literally, they literally have to be a certain way. And like certain performers, they just, that's effortless. They know, they, they, they pick it up. They know exactly how to, how to twist that knife and make that line. It's most powerful. And it's really cool to see. Okay. there That's a different school of thought. I've heard that there are some writers who marvel at a performer's ability to take a line and put a spin on it that wasn't even intended. And they say, they say- Well, those writers probably aren't as good as us. Oh, well, nobody's as good as you. But they say it's almost uh, uh, like sex, as good as sex, they say. Yeah, no, when someone makes something you you wrote better, it's it actually is like a great feeling to like see someone manage to get more out of it or do something with it you didn't, or like just find- these little moments that they can make that make it much richer. And like, that's an actor's job. And like, you forget how much acting is a job and a craft because it's something that like sort of everyone thinks they can do, you know, because I'm in the show also, which is, let's be honest, a huge F you to actors that I am. Or just to me, just to me is a big, yes. The whole point. You you used to be allowed on camera. They used to allow me on camera, you know, before high def. Yeah. So, it's uh no it's it's a it's a crazy show. Brad Garrett by the way is also really great on it. Um uh-huh. he's so good. Like it's just it's really cool how many people we've had on the show that I'm like I can't believe they're doing this show. Right. I can't and, and you created the show. Yeah. Yeah, I created it with Pete and, and a lot of there were a lot of roles out there to be handed out to friends. It was I mean it's a bit of a cavalcade of, of uh, all the people you admire. Oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, yes, many, many people I love. I mean, I, I literally am. I have to like be careful about which names I say, but um, but you had Charlie, some say in the casting. Yeah, Charlie Day is in it, which is like crazy exciting from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, I had a little say. I mean, look, I'm not. And, the, and it, you know, if you wanted to, you could say, well, I have some friends. They may not be superstars, but they would add a little something. Uh, to this. I could have. Yeah, yeah. I definitely could have done that. Yeah. Um, Older comedy writers who've been in the trenches with you. Pals. Well, I mean, we already had Joe Pesci, mm-hmm. you know, who is around your age. <laughs> so I felt like it just, you know, I didn't want to take away the spotlight. Okay, you know, when you have someone on Joe's caliber, you don't want to yeah. suffocate him. Could you but, see uh, how you become a director you, you're in charge of something. You create a movie or a television series. You walk on the set and people do what you say. And that has to be better than being in a relationship or raising a family. You're king. Nobody questions you. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I definitely am doing this instead of raising a family. There's no question about it. I chose to abandon that part of my life. Well, that's that. I never had kids. I don't want to make it. That sounds like I abandoned a family. I never had a family to abandon. I just was like, well, I really only have uh, time for one of these. I mean, had I not been a failure as long and I made it years earlier, I could have had a family like you did. But I took I got to fail in show business and in raising a family. Yeah, I'm a hyphenate. I'm a hyphenate. You had time. Yeah. Uh, and I just took too long to get here to, you know, also have that part of life. And it's something I kind of have to accept that was it was a decision. Well, it it's it never was always too- a decision. It was always a decision that if I it, I'm going to pursue this, whether or not I fin- I get there in time to also have a life. It's but never too it's late okay. to meet somebody always- and fall in love and have some children you should never have. I don't think I can responsibly have children at this Why point. Why not? I'm too old. No, you're I not. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could be Charlie Chaplin and, you know, get a girl pregnant when I'm 75. But it's like, you know, is it right for me to have a kid that I'm not going to be, you know, because I don't I, I, I don't plan on being healthy. Is it right for me to have a kid that I'm not going to have time to, you know, to raise? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm too old to uh, to have a kid. I have a niece and nephew. I can, you know, put all my insecurities and prejudices onto them. Okay. So if you're in your 20s and you have early success and you walk onto a set and you're in charge, then you get into relationships where you're not in charge or you try to be in charge. You're oh, sorry, just, I just realized I derailed your whole argument. So let's start there. Go no, I, I'm not arguing. I'm, I, I just think... It, it, I, I can see how somebody like Orson Welles chose films over. Well, you know what it brings up, uh, Mommy Dearest. This because there's a great, great line in Mommy Dearest about you know what I'm talking about where she basically says, "Why doesn't my daughter treat me as nicely as my fans?" Right, and it's like there's something very sick about anyone who wants their personal life to mimic the power they have in their professional life or the opposite who takes out, you know, the, the lack of power they have on their family. Um, well, let's turn you know, to, let's turn to Trump because I think he has succeeded in some ways surrounding himself only with sycophants, including his kids. Yeah. Those children would, wouldn't dare question his authority. Is he as miserable as we like to believe he is? I don't think, I don't think there's any possible way that Trump could be happy and act the way he does. I think that even I think that clearly this is someone who has never been happy. I think you can understand that. You you have to agree that like there is no world where someone who is truly happy and self-actualized is that much of a prick. There ha- it, because I think that every day he's still thinking they all think they're better than me. They all think they're classier than me, they're smarter than me. And he's still jealous of all these people that he knows he never won over. Uh, I think. Yeah, Do you have no, a dog? That, Do you have a dog? No. Do you have a cat? No. You have a snake. I did. What was your it snake? Died. What was it your died. Snake? Brack. 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 And how Brack. old was Brack? Uh, Brack made it to about uh, about nineteen. And he choked on a gerbil. You don't need to worry about how Brack died. 
Brack died of natural causes. Let's he, move on. he was 20. Okay. Did you like 19. him? Hmm? Did you like your snake? I had no problem with him or her. I get her. Yeah. Did she have she a personality? Eggs. No, no. She was an animal who would kill me. If she had the chance. It's a snake. I don't. Did uh, you have any dog. emotional connection with her? I liked her. I know she didn't care about me. What did um, you like about your snake? The, the visual aesthetics. I thought she looked cool. You thought she looked that, cool. And do you think yeah, that do you yeah, think she was you, really more of a moving piece of furniture to me? Yeah. Do you think you tend to anthropomorphize snakes and understand? Oh, clearly not. Clearly not. I I felt nothing uh, as like I would like a dog or cat. There okay. was no emotional connection. Do you it's think a, it's an it's just a cool animal. OK. Do you think we tend to anthropomorphize Donald Trump? That he's a different animal and we think, how could he be happy? He must feel this way. Maybe we don't have a clue as to what he's thinking. I think that we know more than that because it's not like he's that unique a person. He is a malignant narcissist. He is utterly predictable. I don't think there's anything about him that you there's ever surprised me. Anything he ever said that I found the slightest bit out of character. I think he's very easy to to break down. And I think he's a person who has to constantly tell himself how great he is and how happy he is, but has massive swings of misery. I feel like he he definitely has rage. He has self-loathing. No one puts their name on the top of a building when they're happy. Maybe. I, I agree with you, but I look at this guy and I marvel at his indefatigability. So I think, where does he get, they don't make Adderall strong enough to keep somebody going the way he's going. Where does he get this I think from? that he's, oh, I think he's just, it's the inertia of his own bullshit. He just lives off the idea of like, I'm just going to do this till I die. I'm going to, I'm going to double down and I'll never change. And I mean, look at the way that he's attacking DeSantis right now. The desperate, clingy, just flaccid attacks he has on this guy who is also just a pandering Trump wannabe, but is doing it better because he's not as mentally ill or uh, uh, dumb. No, I think he is as mentally ill as. I don't think. I, th I don't think he's as mentally ill. I think he's just as horrible. I think he's as deplorable. Maybe. I think he's just as uh, callous and evil. But you know, DC Comics made Lex Luthor president years ago before Trump, and we all thought it was ridiculous. And then Trump became president, and we all said, "Oh, that's just Trump without the stupidity or craziness. It's hmm. just just the evil." And DeSantis is not a genius, but he seems smarter than Trump. And he's not someone I would, you know, think of as a paragon of stability, but he's not a raving lunatic and he knows how to comport himself decently. The question is, does that get the weirdos out of bed on election day? Right. That's the real question. Does right. it? Right. Or and, do and, we need a carnival barker to get those people to vote? And maybe DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump. But what makes him more dangerous is probably what prevents him from getting away with what Trump got away with, because DeSantis has some 
decency. I think he's indecent, but there's he will not go to the lengths that Trump would go to survive. Nixon wouldn't go to the lengths. No, that, he wouldn't. That Nixon, that, that, that right. That Nixon is a para, is 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 the best example you can have of the difference between Trump and a not insane politician in that position. Unless Nixon resigned. Unless this is the new normal. Trump has created a new normal, and DeSantis learned never budge, never give an inch, just keep That's, fighting, don't admit you're wrong. In which case he'll be even more dangerous. It's uh, it almost makes you think what would have happened in 1984. If Gary Hart had come out and said, yeah, I cheated on my wife and there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't and, and, and screw you for asking the question. Would we live in a world right now where almost every marriage is open? It's almost possible when you think about how right. much like this stuff permeates. But like the difference between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump is the difference between a filthy, bleeding, high out of his mind, cokehead, you know, banging his head against the wall and a guy in a three piece suit who you don't know is on just as much cocaine. Yeah. Is it wrong to it's, be obsessed with Trump? No, Trump is the worst thing that's happened to America in modern history. Well, so let's discuss that. Is that true? Yes. Trump. How much damage? How, how has he really damaged us other than scaring us? I think that he will have a legacy of having poisoned the minds of millions of people for generations. I think he made a percentage of Americans irredeemable in a way that is the the scale is impossible to really explain because it doesn't just end with him. There are men who would have lived normal lives in this country and instead became psychopathic bullies. There was recently a a, 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 girl, a young girl, a young, I think, 20-year-old girl, and her parents had a group suicide, had a, had a suicide pact together a, few, a couple weeks ago. And when they investigated, they found out that the reasoning for the suicide appears to be Trump's lack of popularity. And, and I say that because they were fanatical Trump fans who were putting out really disturbing, alarming videos about aliens, conspiracies, lizard people, all that stuff, but like worshiping Trump. And it people are speculating. It seems as though they saw that Trump's not going to be president again and gave up hmm. like these. I think that there is Trump injected a level of insanity into this culture that was up to that point impossible to imagine. Right. I think he made the world safe for cruelty in a way that I did not think was possible in this country. I think he paved the way for uh, a shockingly unethical sort of culture. And, you know, January 6th. And hate crimes. Is just there's an no example. Yeah, there's no question that hate crimes against marginalized groups are yes. astronomically higher than they were before he took office. We the, the Republican Party suddenly decided to label all LGBT people as pedophiles. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that not literally, but yes, a great number of them have done that, have tried to use this term groomer to describe basically anyone with a, a gay kid or right. a trans kid. Right. It's it's unimaginable the levels they've sunk in because it's like they don't care because I think that's what the worst thing Trump did. And this is also part of with Putin, though, because this is part of what Putin's been doing with installing strongmen around the world. They have poisoned the well of information to the point that no one worries about being called out for lying anymore. 
And that removed a guardrail that we really needed because now people will, as a group, embrace a lie together and they feel that gives them power. In the past, you really had to trick people. But now you can just lie to them knowing, and everyone knows it's a lie and it's right. more of a, what are you going to do about it? And that's right. really scary. Right. Well said. Yeah. It's, it's owning the libs, pretending you believe yes. it because it gets people upset. And that's the, the, the idea that like, what percentage honestly thinks the election was stolen compared to what percentage thinks it's, it's a, a well usable lie. Cause I don't think the, I don't think the people who have positions of power ever thought the election was stolen. I really don't. Right. I don't think, I, I don't really think Trump does. I don't believe. I, I, don't I think the Trump January himself. 6th report says he, he knew it wasn't yeah. a lie. I, I mean, I've, I, I, I consumed all that and, and there was a lot that I didn't know that I'm glad we had those hearings, but at the, at the core of it, it was what, what we thought. He just, he, he will do literally anything to retain the slightest amount of power. And you're right. DeSantis, Nixon, no one else has ever existed. That was that scorched earth selfish. Maybe that's the word that separates Trump from all the others. Selfish. No one but him would ever truly destroy the world to feed their ego. Well, there's also the enablers. There were no enablers in the Republican Party when Nixon was in charge. I think that the, Hugh Scott, Barry Goldwater, the the elder statesman on Capitol Hill told him it's over. Nobody stood up to Trump when he was impeached twice. There wasn't a single Republican, Mitch McConnell. McCarthy. You had your hand. You had your token handful of Republicans. What your Ben Sass, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney. That's about it. Right. But the elders in yeah, the party, the people in charge, yeah. he was able to co-op them. Why? Because I have my theories, but why do you think Mitch McConnell wouldn't vote against Trump? I mean, my theory is pretty obvious. Compromot that that manila envelopes. Arrived I never thought the, it was that. I, I never thought, thought that. that Trump simply had blackmail on everyone. I thought it was just that. We found out that at the end of the day, Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney were literally the only Republicans who believed in heaven and hell, for lack of a better word. They were the only ones who truly deep down believed that doing the right thing was important. And this was the biggest test any of them ever had. And they were all given that test, that biblical test, your livelihood or the right thing. Right. And two people chose the right thing. I know a couple others, but- those are the only prominent Republicans basically who had a soul and like Liz Cheney, you could argue maybe she was doing it, you know, partially because she saw an opportunity, you know, you run to the left of them and maybe you end up being out in front, which was reasonable. That's a good strategy. But at the end of the day was still about doing what's right. And Mm -hmm. I just think that they are completely soulless transactional just monsters who do not care. They just want to keep their jobs. They will do anything. It's like that move that the TV show, a uh, man in the high castle where like a movie where Germany defeats America. Uh, I never Dick? saw the movie Dick. No, no. Philip K. Dick. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, of course. Yeah. Philip K. Dick's book. You loved it. Um, yeah. I uh, personally. Yeah. And that it shows Americans 
who are now Nazis because the Germans won. And yeah, eventually you get people just say, I just want to have a job. I'll, I'll, I'll join whatever. They'll join whoever their invaders are. Hitler could have. It, it had had there been an armistice like World War One, where the the Germans agreed to stop fighting, they would keep the land that they have. And England, Russia, and the United States said, okay, just let's just stop the fighting. There would have been a rehabilitation of Hitler's reputation. Yeah, he, yeah. he killed well, six million Jews and a couple of million Catholics and gypsies. But over time, we would have said, well, look at what the British did in India. Look at what Bel the Belgium uh, King well, Leopold did. Uh, in before the he started attack, before he became an existential threat to the whole world, Hitler was kind of popular in America. Yeah, you know the America First Party that Trump tried to bring back, of course, was once the Americans who loved Hitler Party. Right, America First, because they just loved the idea of this ethnocentric dictatorship. Hitler appeals to anyone who's really, really simple. When you're really simple. The idea that it's just race and power makes sense to you and you want a simpler world. And Hitler created a, a depressingly simple world of just I in charge, white people good. And for some people, unfortunately, that's the most complicated concept they can get their heads around. And we could have done business with him. We did business with him throughout the 30s up until Pearl Harbor. The, well, because he was stupid enough to declare war on us. Right. It was really one of the dumbest decisions in um, in world military history he didn't have to had there been some kind of armistice americans would have said yeah it's terrible what he's done to the jews and the gypsies and the catholics the same way we say it's terrible what she and china are doing to tibet and the uyghurs but yeah. you know we're no angels look at the way we treated uh, the philippines and and native americans yeah, you know, who we are probably we would judge? have. That's I mean, how really we would from, rationalize from, it. We strategically probably would have argued that what we need is a strong Germany to keep Russia at bay. And Russia and Germany probably would have stayed at war for decades. They probably and we probably you know, look, we 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 were ready to go to war with Russia in Germany at the end of World War Two. So it was a, absolutely if they thought that. The Germans are going to help us with Russia. You could, of course, see us. Exactly. There's never, there's never been like a country too evil to negotiate with, right? To trade with, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a law of the jungle world. Are um, you doing any roast battles before you go? I'm judging a lot of roast battles. What are the clubs uh, like? Clubs are pretty good, pretty normal. Again, I just, you know, I've done a bunch. I've done a lot of, I've, you know, some shows, and I've done roast battles. I just did one at governors. I, uh, I judged their first roast battle there headline that show. That was really nice. Clubs are good. You know, they're there. There's plenty of people. Um, I feel like, uh, stand up is more, it's, it's a weird thing. I never thought that so many people would be so excited to go out, but they are, they do. But I, you know, it's stand up's not exactly my main focus, but I'm there, you know, I'm going to be trying to get more into it now and shows seem back to normal. Pretty much. Of course, I'm in New York. I don't have to worry as much about getting stuff thrown at me. For And all the clubs, Caroline's closes when? I don't know when it closes, but yeah, Caroline's is finally closing. 
um, very sad, you know, huge staple of comedy in New York. Right. But, but Jesus Christ, I always thought, how do they keep this place open in Times Square? It seems so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta make yeah. a lot of money. Any gigs you want to promote before? No, we... no, no. You're not well, going to promote. I mean, if I'm, if I'm in town, I will be judging the roast battle at New York comedy club on 24th street on February 22nd, I believe. Okay. And the and, name uh, of your new show on Peacock is? My new show on Peacock is called Bupkis. It's Yiddish. Uh, it comes out in May, I believe. Um, I don't know if it's, uh, that's on an official date, but it's something around there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm sorry I made you wait so long, David. For what? I, I felt to come back in your show. Well, now, you know, I, but now, now I take off. Yeah. 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 Well, I just want to, you know, look, it's, it's sad because, you know, I, 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 you made a lot of overtures that I ignored in increasingly dismissive ways. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Apology. And I, I'm sorry what happened to your show because I wasn't around. You ruined it. Dave Cyrus. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, I have much more popular videos if you search my name. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Dr. Harriet Fraud joins us, and she's providing a public service to me and to everyone, and that is Tuesday is Valentine's Day. So go out and find somebody to love. Or if you're in love, remember it's Valentine's Day and uh, spend money. Prove that you love somebody by spending money. Send a creative valentine of your own construction, whatever. I have a feeling in America, it's... Yeah, you buy. You buy something. They invented... They they said, you know what? Christmas, it's been... They paid off their credit card just enough. We can get them to spend some more on chocolate and... Mother's Day, Father's Day, all opportunities to spend money. Let's talk about guns. Oh, yes. And masculinity. Here's my question. How is owning a gun macho? It's saying it says to it it says to people, I'm physically weak. I can't defend myself in a fist fight. So I'm going to go get a gun to protect myself because I'm not a real man. Well, for a lot of men, particularly those who want a Bushmaster automatic, which restores their manhood, as it says in the ad, um, a gun is saying, I am powerful. And the gun industry has been smart enough not to say, buy a gun, make us rich, but rather buy a gun, be a man, protect your home, protect your family, protect yourself, because people are under assault by capitalist predation. They get crappy salaries. They buy things that fall apart. They can't get any help. And it gives insecure men a sense of power. There was a map made originally by the Wall Street Journal and then copied by Mother Jones, which superimposed gun ownership with insecure masculinity, a perfect match. And insecure masculinity meant people who buy testosterone creams, and penis extenders, and so on. And so I think what has happened is men have felt unmanned. The tokens of manhood previously were that 
you have a salary that could support a dependent woman who works for you full time and maybe a child or so. And that you also, in addition to that job, you have a lover or a wife. Well, now you can't afford a woman in the home if you're the mass of the American people who can't afford anything. Don't have uh, 64% don't have $500 for the worst emergency, you know, as discretionary income. You can't afford to keep a woman at home. 81% of women are single and by choice. You, uh, you don't have a job that makes you feel like a man because you're told what to do. The four biggest employers are Walmart, call centers, Amazon, and fast food. In all of those jobs, you are an extension of a robot and you are not given any authority. You can't even sit down if you work at Walmart and there's nobody in your department. You can't sit down. You have to do exactly what you're told and you're always exploited. So the idea of the rugged independent man, forget that, that's gone. And the American dream that you could support a family if you were white and male and a dependent wife and children, forget about it. You could hardly support yourself. And you'll be lucky if you can keep your job. And you'd probably have to go on strike to fight to get a minimally decent wage. And so, you know, the tokens of manhood are gone. And I think people have, men have guns as an extension of their power. They don't feel as powerless because they're holding a gun. And the people who have shot people and 97% of the mass shooters in 2022, quite typically, where there were 647 mass shootings more than days, but every one of them had one or two things in common, either one or one and the second one. One is they lost a job. The second is that they lost a sex partner and they were very angry and wanted to show that, you know, they can take matters in hand. They can shoot people. They are powerful and they are angry. And so they can use a gun to restore their sense of manhood. And men are under assault. It occurred to me this week that when I was young, albeit a while ago, indeed. We didn't have cell phones, but we did have Polaroids. Nobody sent dick pics. I'm a man. Look at my dick. Women don't send vagina pics. Right. That there is a crisis of masculinity because the old definitions have no place for I'm a man because I love and I'm loved and I'm a human and I'm vulnerable and I'm needful, and I want to be protective, and I want all these things, and I want a partner. That's a modern idea of manhood, which allows people to get along without guns. But for those people who've lost the tokens of their manhood, it, there's a way of getting it, getting it back. 
the NRA has a target called the ex-girlfriend target. And every time you shoot her, there's more blood until you've just eviscerated and decomposed her whole face. Wow. They don't have an ex-boyfriend target practice. Wow. Because their clientele are angry men who feel denied of their supremacy over women. Often it's 71% of them are white. So it's often angry white men who've lost their supremacy, not only over women, but over minorities. And they're very angry. Because if you've had a loss, you can say what happened and try to do something about it. Or you could say, I'm going back to the good old days. MAGA, make America great again and make me great again with the help of this trusty God. And then when things go wrong, they reclaim their manhood by shooting people in mass shootings. You know, that's why firearm injuries are the biggest cause of death for people under 24. And it's young men. Now, some of that is in the only venture capital opportunity they have in the drug trade. But some of them is a recapturing of manpower. And it is marketed that way. If you look at the guns, the ads for automatics, which they now have junior automatics for younger boys, <laughs> um, which one of I think it was Ethan Crumbly's parents bought that for him. And he came in and shot up some classmates uh, and a teacher. But there is a sense that I'm lost. I'm powerless. No, I'm not. I am in control. I am the destroyer. And so I think that's why. And it's pretty powerful. And it, when they talk about violence, they don't talk about male violence it's male violence right we're to, we're told that we're we're told that the the biggest uh rising demographic is women buying guns and and you see Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene at shooting galleries and celebrating AR15s but is that true do women are they buying well, some women, I suppose, those women who are trying to appeal to white supremacist, toxically masculine men, which both of them are. I read an article. I don't know if it's really true, but it's how Lauren Boebert got her start. She was an escort and right. went out with Ed Cruz, who fixed her up as a politician. I don't know if that's true. I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard, I've heard the rumor. Yeah. Yeah. But there. And I've heard rumors about her husband not being in, let's just say, ankle bracelet territory. Right. So, you know, you have women who are trying to capture the rage of dispossessed white men like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert. And so they act like that and they are big gun promoters. But it isn't women who are killing masses of people almost every day. I mean, just in the month of uh, January, there were see, 39 mass shootings. In three weeks of January, there were 39 mass shootings. Which is a record. It's a record. We, and we are number one. There's no question. No other nation comes near us. And... 
mass shootings, America's number one, and keep on going. One of the things that Lauren Boebert said was uh, Americans, they came out that Americans own 46% of the world's guns. And she said, yeah, not enough. Get cracking. But that's who they're appealing to. That's their audience. And um, do you think there do you think if it weren't a multi-billion dollar industry, we would be a gun culture? Of course not. Of course not. And so that capitalist gun owners have found a perfect advertising tool preying on male insecurity to sell full strength and power. And it's been very successful. I, I saw I, I, stopped. I've seen interviews with this guy, Marty Daniel from Daniel Defense, who made the AR-15 used by the shooter in Uvalde. He's talking at trade shows how to find new shooters. We need to find new shooters. We need to open up new markets. Absolutely. That's capitalism more. How do these people sleep at night? How do you rationalize that? How do you make money? And that's all, all that counts for them. They're winning. They're winning. And they're winning because they're making more. And if they're capitalists and they're competitive, they're always looking for new markets. So that's what you do. That's success. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a very successful capitalist and then uh, stopped doing that and became a radical. But he said, I never thought of anything except, is it profitable? Is it profitable for my company? That's the thing to do. That's good. That's good. That's, you know, that covers morality. So it turns people, it turns people into sociopaths. It does. And any death is collateral damage within that ideology because you're winning and you're making more and you're succeeding and they're always looking to get more, even though they're already obscenely well paid. And there are no pangs of guilt, because I do remember Wayne LaPierre, the executive director or president of the NRA in 2012 after Newtown and the Sandy Hook shooting, he seemed unhinged. He seemed really spooked. He laid low for two weeks. I think he got on a boat and hid from everybody, then came back with this big statement. And he was unhinged. You could tell that he was having second thoughts about what he did for a living and began to say things that were absolutely insane, like we need to arm teachers. This was in 2012. Everybody everybody said, are you effing kidding me? In 2012, everybody said, this is insane. And now it's the official policy of the Republican Party, armed teachers. It just gets worse. It gets worse. But Wayne LaPierre might have been having a breakdown because he thought, oh, Christ, how can I sell guns now? Now this looks bad. I have to go into hiding and figure out some gambit. Ah, arm everybody. So then 
if the good guys have the guns, when the bad guys come in, they can shoot them up. And if a teacher gets pissed at a kid, she can shoot him. <laughs> if the kid can't, grabs the gun, he can shoot the teacher. But he might have been a recluse because he was not stricken by conscience, but worried. How will we keep profits up now? Well, he was worried about his own security. He was worried that somebody yeah. was going to take him out. I have trouble. I think most human beings have trouble understanding this type of mind. Mo oh. Most normal people would feel pangs of guilt. I'm, I'm selling something that kills children. children. Yes. Look, I've had some clients who are real kind of low-life type clients. I remember this guy came in with his girlfriend who brought him in because he punched her in the stomach because she refused to suck him off in a movie theater. Not too refined, obviously. No. What was the but movie? I said that Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that was just just curious what I the movie. Didn't get to watch much, but at any rate, I said, "Well, how did you feel after you punched her?" And he said, "I said to myself, who's that asshole?'" Right. He knew he wasn't a refined fellow, but he knew he did something out of control, right, and destructive, and he didn't right. kill people, right. And I think the average person feels terrible right. pain if they kill somebody or shoot somebody. But if you feel you're good because you're making money, then the crisis is, oh, no, this will be a glitch in the profit. And I had a talk with this friend of mine who made quite a bit of money doing all the payroll and backroom for oil companies. And he said when he was into that, he never thought about pollution or anything. He thought about profit. What can I do that will enhance these people's profit and therefore enhance my profit? That was the good. That was the goal. Mm -hmm. Nothing else mattered. And geologists, I had a conversation with somebody who was saying the only really good jobs for geologists are with Exxon or British Petroleum. And I said, well, yeah. that's evil. And he said, but you go to school, you rack up debt, you study geology. Aren't you entitled to make a living? And I said, no. And he said, well, you have a sense of privilege. You don't know what it means to blah, 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 blah. I go, no, no. I never... I never had a lot of money and I never did think, well, you know, there are certain television shows I wrote for that I shouldn't have. But, you know, we all yeah, we're all culpable to some degree. And I guess that's how people justify working the back room for murderous corporations. Yeah. I mean, they could work for the National Geological Survey, but they wouldn't get paid as they and they get paid quite well. But they wouldn't get paid as much as they would if they worked for Exxon. So is Wayne LaPierre made a sociopath by the job or is he a sociopath who found the right job he, for himself? I think, who knows, he must have had sociopathic tendencies to tolerate that job. But it certainly brought out the sociopath right. in him. Because otherwise, if you give an instrument of mass destruction to angry 
men, what are they going to do with it? And you provide them with targets that are women and you peg ads, you know, the one I'm most fond of with the Bushmaster Automatic that got them in such trouble they revoked it was, does your wife or girlfriend make more money than you? Revoke your man card. Do you prefer tofu to meat? Revoke your man card. Then it went through a whole bunch of things and it said, Bushmaster Automatic, reinstate your man card. Okay? Are these guys getting laid? No, you're saying absolutely not. Are there any women who are yeah. attracted to this? Warren Bobert might be there for them. I think there might be some aberrant women who want a bully for a man, but it's a, a decreasing number. 70% of divorces are now initiated by women. 70% of the people refusing to marry are now women. It used to be men who were dragged to the altar. Now women aren't being dragged. They're not going. Right. You know, there's a very different feeling. And a lot of, I think it's interesting in your field that the Daily Show now is run by Chelsea Handler. Well, I think temporarily she is. I think she's delighted. For, yeah, I think for a week she, she was doing it. Yeah. The, and it was in, created by two women, Liz Winstead and uh, somebody else. And they were punished for creating the Daily Show. They were really how yeah. were they punished? Uh, replaced by men. They were p- replaced by men. Yes, and uh, so I don't want to get into that. It's not for me. Okay. I have my own issues with the Daily Show that oh, uh, I'm not going to represent uh, Liz Winstead. Uh, if we airdropped a team of foreign psychologists, psychotherapists into the South and they talk to all these women who are involved with these Republican men, are there any foreign psychotherapists who would say, you should stay in this relationship? Isn't I would assume these... They might. Look, there are a lot of priests who say that. A lot of priests who molest kids, too. <laughs> you know... Uh, Stay in this abusive, this relationship. That's right. Religion. Because religion keeps women down. Religion keeps women in these relationships. Psychotherapy does not. Exactly, because in the Catholic Church, at least, marriage is a sacrament. You break the sacrament if you leave the marriage. And you promise to be loyal and true, even though you're getting beaten. And so the, the the Republican Party, the glue that holds it together is a bastardized version of Christianity or Orthodox Judaism. Some right. twisted. Orthodoxy. Yeah. And uh, a refusal to acknowledge one's own mental illness. Nobody's on That's the right. couch in the Republican and Party. And a huge capturing And they're not that successful, we have to realize. They used to have, as the brown shirts who did their dirty work, the evangelicals. But evangelicals are diminishing in the United Mm -hmm. States. Their children aren't all that up for it. And young people increasingly don't believe in organized religion. 
Right. And so that's much less successful. There are even critics within the evangelical community. They used to have that. Now I think what they capitalize on is people's anger. Why should I obey the law? The laws don't work for me anyway. Good right. for you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, screaming liar. Right. George Santos in the back saying, right here. <laughs> I love that. I love that. that was Chelsea Handler did that joke. Chelsea Handler was great. It was great. Great joke. Yeah. But I mean, that it is a lie. The democracy is a lie. The opportunity is a lie. Right. Ads are a lie. The politicians are lying. So screw it all. Let's elect murderers and right. psychopaths and pathological liars. The person Matt Getz wanted to address the Congress on its opening is wanted for murder in Michigan. They had to drop him off the roster. That there is a sense of a bent, you know, a delight almost, a sadistic pleasure in smashing the country that let you down, the laws, right. the practices, the civility, the politeness, it's gone. Right. I'm angry. That I'm angry. Right. The, the, that seems to be the mantra that you hear from Lauren Boebert. I, I saw Lisa Murkowski the other night saying, I am angry. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, we are angry. They don't are angry. They, and they don't know why they're angry. Well, they think they're angry because um, people who are being abused, like refugees and women of color, at, are taking their jobs. They think that's why they're angry. They're angry because whites aren't what they used to be. They're angry because women are sometimes angry. That's the book Deaths of Despair by Case and Deaton, that women in the South and the Midwest and the were about 50 were dying even faster than their black counterparts. Right. He had counted on a man, you know, to get married, to keep house, to take care of their man, to raise their children and be supported for life. Now they have to work. Their marriages are falling apart. You know, the downside of it was a joke that I probably told you because I love it. A joke of the 50s and early 60s. Men are like linoleum. You lay them right once, you can walk on them for 20 years, right? <laughs> no more. No more. Women. No. Women aren't supported. So, You're not there in the household. Which is why Nikki Haley, who's going to be announcing officially her candidacy for the GOP vice presidency under Donald Trump. I think that's what she's doing is she's running for vice president. She's going to run a civil campaign uh, and suck up to Donald Trump. Women in the Republican Party aren't going to vote for a woman, right? I doubt it because women are suspect. And most women, to give our sex a little more credit, aren't in the Republican Party and don't vote for that because they do want you know, little things like abortion rights, birth control. White huge. women, but white women do. And black women, too. No, no, I'm saying white women vote for Trump. Black women don't. Yeah, but I don't think most white women will vote for Trump. Also, so Trump being the Trump kind of broke the barrier. He broke the barrier of obscenity. He broke the barrier of crime. 
right now he's wanted for the rape of E. Jean Carroll right. and libel of E. Jean Carroll thereafter. He's also already paid for fraud and he's wanted for illegal campaign contribution to uh, shut up Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. Right. So he, he is an outlaw. And those who like him like that he breaks the law. He said, I don't pay taxes. I'm smart. I break the law. Right. I don't contribute to this society. And they admired him for that because they're very angry at America. And instead of trying to make it better, they want to smash it. On January 6th. That's what they did. And he ended the day saying to his staffers, Mike Pence really let me down. That's, That's right. That was his takeaway after January 6th. Yeah, that they, he didn't cover for their destruction and canceling the election for me because our democratic institutions don't work anyway, smash them. That's why they shitted on the walls in there on January 6th. A little dumb, the guy who stole Nancy Pelosi's gavel put it up on eBay, which Smart. Yeah. Very smart. And a lot of them called in because they'd left things there. They called the lost and found it. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. They'd left things. You know. They called lost and <laughs> Have you found, you know, a large MAGA hat? with <laughs> Whatever it is. But, deplorables. You know, they are deplorable. They are rageful and they right. don't they want to break the law. Yeah. And that's what they were there for. And Trump was the lead off. He created the precedent for incivility, for rage, for violence, for misogyny. Well, we, we have to wrap it up in a way just to end on an optimistic note. <laughs> 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you had Henry Kissinger, a Republican who was civil and polite and knew which fork, to, yes. which fork to use and which chopsticks to use. He could use chopsticks while bombing North yeah. Vietnam and Laos, Cambodia and, you know, on and on and on. Has Trump purged the Republican Party of the the civil sociopaths? And turned it over to people who are so stupid and sloppy, they're easier to prosecute. I mean, are they the insurrectionists are just as vile as Henry Kissinger and uh, who was Decker's uh, Midge Decker's son in law, Elliot Abrams, for example. There, I don't see any difference between Elliot Abrams and the people who stormed the Capitol. Elliot, Except, a yes. I'm sorry. I, mean, I think one of the things that Trump was angry at is he was so crude that he wasn't wanted in elite circles. And it was kind of the differences. The Republican Party used to be a unity of elites with brown shirts who were evangelicals. Right. That's collapsing a bit. But. You could see the problem when Romney went over to Santos after Biden's speech. Santos, after Biden's speech, 
placed himself near Biden and was shaking people's hands as if they were there to see him. And I don't know if you heard that latest thing. I think I sent it to you. And then Romney and he got into an argument because Romney said, you are an embarrassment. You are an embarrassment to the party. That's Romney is the elites, a man with older money and with civility. And these people are an embarrassment. These flagrant sociopathic liars and violent people. But he, there are those two tendencies. But Romney, Bain Capital, is sociopathic, and absolutely, and and he. But refined, and he's sure. he's, but he is socially refined, and sociologically, pathologically, a criminal. But he doesn't like the criminality to be exhibited right. that way. Right. He doesn't want to see George Santos a proven liar standing there shaking hands after the president's speech. He wants it to appear genteel. Right. And one sympathetic part about these goons and destroyers is they're saying, no, that gen- that isn't genteel. This place is collapsing and we're angry and we're left out and we're hurt. Right. And we're ignorant too. We're not trying to build anything. We're trying to wreck it. Right. Dr. Harriet Fraud hosts three shows, one on WBAI, which I think moved to Wednesdays now. It's now Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. They changed it recently. Okay. Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., unless it isn't, is preempted by something else. But usually it's Tuesday at 6.30. And then there's Capitalism Hits Home, and it's not just in your head. Who do you do those shows with? I do Capitalism Hits Home with myself, and I do It's Not Just in Your Head with Ekoi Hero and Liam Tate. Fantastic. And you came to us today from beautiful California, Northern California. We'll talk next week. Wonderful. I hope so. Yep. Thank Have you. A beautiful week in spite of the crumbling empire. Yes. Enjoy the weather and walk the planet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Happy Valentine. Thank you very much for reminding me. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.